Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. So glad you're here this morning. Welcome to Christmas at Eastgate. For the next few weeks, we're going to do all the festive stuff together, sing some songs we only sing from time to time together. Maybe do them in a way that is unexpected. So I heard a few of you wanting to sing, you know, those songs that the, the right way, but we messed you up. Uh, but that's great. Um, we're, we're digging in for the next few weeks in a sermon series we're calling Rediscover Christmas. And I have to admit something. If you were watching the pre-service announcements, they were from last week, so my apologies. I think we're having youth tonight. Where's my youth leader? Marcus, we're having youth tonight, right? Okay, so that was incorrect. Anyway, um, but let's, let's get into the text today. Uh, rediscover Christmas, and what I want to dig into this morning is this idea of anticipation. Rediscovering the anticipation of Christmas. This time of year, for a lot of people, is like, Almost, it can be a season of dread, if you will. But for those little people in the room and those little people in the back, it's like, like they're, they're ready to explode. And, and it doesn't really matter what you celebrate. It, it, the thing that's happening is they're getting out of school, right? Or, or if you're homeschooling, like you're probably taking a break at this time of year coming up. And uh, there's going to be lights. And maybe you take your kids looking at lights. There's, there's going to be family time. There's just like this... There's all this hoopla that's fun for a child and somewhat maybe difficult for an adult. I don't know. I'm I'm a bit of a kid inside, so the lights start getting me all a little bit goofy again. I get a little too cheery, maybe more cheery than I should. Uh, I'm not sure that's true uh, or even a thing, but I get pumped up. And this word anticipation, though, the, the idea of rediscovering Christmas, I had to ask myself this week. It was a title we picked way earlier in the year. And the real big question was, Okay, well, if there's something we need to rediscover, what has been lost? What is missing about how we celebrate? What is missing about this time of year uh, that we need to get back to? And I want to say this, no matter your age this morning, no matter what you've been through this year, no matter what you're expecting, there should be anticipation as a Christian. There just should be. Certainly anticipation this time of year that you're going to get opportunities. Maybe the anticipation for you this Christmas is an opportunity for the gospel. For a family member, for a loved one you don't get to see regularly, a friend you might bump into. There's an opportunity here. And this is why, and there's mixed opinions on whether or not churches should celebrate these kinds of things. You know, there's, there's, If you go online, you'll find all kinds of varying opinions. But here's what I know. This is an opportunity for the gospel. We can decide to run from it and say, oh, there's, there's a lot of pagan kind of stuff. If you look at origins of the Christmas tree, your origins things, you'll, you'll notice there's some funky history back there. But what if it's an opportunity for the gospel? And in that case, I'm willing to run towards it that I might reach some. Amen? That we might, through the gospel, reach a few even in spite of some interesting history of this, this season. And so anticipation. Do you feel that sense of anticipation? One writer, this is Eric uh, Severide, he wrote, for children, Christmas is anticipation, but for adults, Christmas is memory. That means everything that was great happened back then. The the new stuff, it's not locking in like it used to when we were kids. And I want to know something. Do you want to move Christmas from a happy memory to an amazing expectation, anticipation once again? It's going to take us looking at this thing a little different. 
It's going to take us, and we're going to be in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 today. It's going to be us looking at this in a way that the ancient church would have practiced. They, they called this season Adventus. You've probably heard the Advent. It's kind of been lost somewhat in, in Protestantism by, by many churches. But this, this idea of Advent should be a time of preparation, not just for the birth of Christ, which has occurred, but the second coming of Christ. And believers, I just want you to know something. We have something to look forward to, and it's pretty amazing. There, there should be anticipation in our heart at this time of year, because we know if He's done it before, He'll do it again. Like some of the glory of the incarnation is knowing that God has come before, and He says He's coming again. We can take Him at His word. This is really great news. I'm getting pumped up just thinking about this idea of putting the advent, the second coming of Christ into perspective. So the question is this, what, what is your perspective this, this month heading into this season? If it's dread, if it's dreary, I just want to encourage you to move your heart a little bit towards Christ because this is the joy of what He has done. Maybe over the last few weeks some bad things have happened. Maybe, maybe this year you lost your job. Maybe you're not sure how you're going to do Christmas the way you have in the past with your family. Maybe you've recently lost a loved one. There's going to be an empty seat at the table this year. I don't know. Maybe your family's gone through some sort of relationship breakdown. There's been divorce somewhere. Maybe Christmas has gotten really complicated. I want to encourage you that the focus on all of those things, the shopping, the spending, all of the chaos that might be your life right now, I have really great news. We can rediscover this Christmas, this, this amazing thing that God has done and that He is doing and that He will do. I'm looking forward to preaching this. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And here we're seeing the prophet Isaiah proclaiming a word of the Lord. This is Isaiah 9 saying that the coming of the long-anticipated Messiah, he, this is the prophecy here. And our, our job now is to look back here and discover that again. Rediscover that anticipation that the people of Israel would have felt for the coming Messiah. Looking back at that, and then that gives us hope for his soon, his future return. So I pray, let's, let's dig in here. We're going to see three ways to rediscover Christmas. Looking back at his first coming and eagerly awaiting his return. Let's dig in. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. And you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil for their yoke, the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth 
and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. This is a fascinating text, a beautiful text. And I want to dig into it in a fresh way today so that we might rediscover that this anticipation we should be having at Christmas. Here's the first really clear way to rediscover, and that is recognize Jesus by recognizing Jesus as the light of the world. This is one of those statements in Isaiah that's to come. For us, it has come, is coming, and, and will be coming. It's like, it's, if you picture it in mathematics, it's like a ray. There's a point, and then there's a line that continues on forever. And this is the sense, it's already not yet, that Jesus is the light of the world, is true, and will always be true. And that's the good news about as we dig into Christmas again, what we're doing, the reason we celebrate it, the reason we get into this idea of the sun. I'm off center, y'all. That's crazy. Y'all got to call me out on this stuff. (laughs) The reason that we even look back is because we want to look at this light and see what it is all about. See what Isaiah was talking about. And I'm trying so hard this season as I was wrestling with the text. And I want to encourage you to come with me on this. Just think about what it was like to be the prophets of old, the the Hebrew nation for thousands of years, up until the first century. Just imagine that's your lineage. And you're eagerly expecting, waiting for this Messiah who you've been reading about, who you've been hearing about from the rabbis for years and years. That kind of anticipation is really almost hard for us to grasp. We don't realize just how blessed we are that the Savior has come. And that salvation is here and that we can receive it freely. Unfortunately, that has also caused us to lose a bit of anticipation that we should still have. That Jesus, the light of the world, this one who has come, is coming. And it should motivate us to live a wholly, wholly different life. Holy in both senses, H and W-H. Wholly different. Great light, he says in verse 2. Look at these words. You see light is on display as you look at verses 1 and 2. There's a gloom. There's a darkness that's been set in. Now, I want to give you just a bit of what's going on here in the text. And this is how we know it's clear prophecy. Here's Isaiah writing hundreds of years before Jesus. And he talks about where Jesus is going to begin his ministry here. The land, you see, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The, 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 it seems that the people in the first century, the Pharisees and these, somewhat forgot about this text, or they just weren't looking at this one. They were looking, and there's many messianic prophecies. They weren't paying attention to this one, which is the idea that this man will start his ministry in the Galilee of the nations, north of the Sea of Galilee, the way beyond the sea. This is one of those things that Jesus did, one of the over 300 messianic prophecies that he fulfilled. I say this almost every year, but it never stops to baffle me. And that is the idea that Jesus could fulfill all of these hundreds and hundreds of prophecies written hundreds of years prior and doing things that, let's just be honest, you would not be able to do just by your own effort. There's no way that you or I could have chosen where we were born and who we were born to. There's nothing we could have done about so many of the details of his birth story that really are proof of him as Messiah. And they're all there on display. And this is one of many where we know that he is going to do something in the land of the way of the sea, the Galilee of the nations, that he's going to start his ministry up here in Capernaum and in Galilee. 
and the Decapolis and all this, this area north of the Sea of Galilee, that that's where he'll begin his ministry, points to the prophet. And what does he do? He brings light. They're in gloom. They're, they're, this glorious way is coming, though. It's verse 2, I love it. The people walked in darkness have now seen a great light. I feel like this thing continues to still be true, that so many of our friends, so many of our coworkers, let's just be honest, the reason that so many of them are, are frustrating is because they're still in darkness. It's, it's, it's kind of a good thing to look at them and just remember, wait a minute, they haven't seen the great light, right? They're still walking around blind. And I shouldn't get so frustrated. I shouldn't get so irritated because they don't understand the way of the Lord, the light of the world. Instead, I look at this and go, wow, just like the people in the first century, now here we are in the 21st century needing the exact same thing. The light of the world that removes darkness. The gloom on our nation, but it's not just our nation. The gloom on this world will remain until the light has shone forth. Now, there's this way of the sea. I want to pop up a couple of maps for you. There's, um, come on with it. You've heard of this thing called the Via Maris. Uh, perhaps you've heard of it, but this is the idea of the way. That literally means the way of the sea or Via Maris. Is this, this road where Christ started his ministry north of the the Sea of Galilee up there. You can pop up the next image. It zooms it in a little tighter. So you'll see these cities up in the northern part of, of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus does a great deal of his ministry. That's, that area that Isaiah is speaking of is right up there in northern Israel. He's the light of the world in that place. He's the Galilee of the nations. Look what it says in the book of Matthew chapter 4. It says, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Matthew's making this really clear. Hey, this points to Isaiah, just so you know. Verse 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled, might be fulfilled. That is the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is one of those I am statements, just if you're wondering... (laughs) You don't see light of the world there in the text. You see a great light. You see the words light referred to. I chose as I was unpacking this text to say light of the world. The reason I chose that is the words of Jesus, in fact. One of the I am statements. There are seven I am statements throughout the book of John. One of them, the second one, is in John chapter 8 where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the Christ who has come into our lives. This is this thing they were eagerly waiting on that we now have. And He is with us now, and He is coming again. This is that anticipation I'm trying to get back in my life. This idea of this season should be exciting because I know what God has done. It should be exciting because I know salvation came. I don't want to overlook the incarnation in any part of my life like... It's, it's rightly so that our faith is so centered on resurrection. There's a really good reason for that, for the cross and the resurrection being really at the core of our faith. But let's not forget what God did. That God humbled Himself to the point of a servant, taking on the form of an infant. That God would leave His throne to do something so demeaning. That His love story is longer than just cross and resurrection. It's the whole life of Jesus. This is His love letter to us. That God would have to get swaddled and have no room for him in a place. That, that God would have to have whatever their version of a diaper changed. 
right? That God would have to have sole need of a human being. We, sh- we shouldn't overlook that. That the God of the universe would so, so shrink to that level for us. That's, that's to his glory and to his credit. And that causes me such excitement to remember that. The thing I'm anticipating this season is just God's love continuing to pour out in my life. He's done it once. He's doing it now. He's doing it in the future. The story of the Bible is that God so loves us, so loves us, that he, first he sent his son, he died for us, and he's coming again. And we have so much to look forward to. He's not done with us. What, what a glorious love letter. And that, that causes me to look at the lights and the season and go, I, I need to focus on what the purpose is here. That God so loves me. And that I need to share that with others. We used to sing a song. This one was pretty popular, I think, in, probably in the 90s. I remember it from when I was younger. It, it went, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Y'all had it. I'm, I'm seeing y'all. Y'all know the song. A lot of you know it. Um, that was, a, that was a, thing, a thing we used to sing quite often. And I really still love the words of that song. When you look at that thing, turn your eyes away from the things of the world. Look on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Him. The light of His glory and grace. At this time of year, I kind of... <laughs> this sounds bad. But I often complain that my wife... Generally, my wife, my kids, they're... They're a mixed bag, but generally my wife wants to go see as many Christmas lights as possible. Um, and the distance doesn't seem to really matter to her. Um, I'm like, well, yeah, let's drive around some Rocky Mountain neighborhoods. But Rocky Mountain doesn't have great neighborhoods for Christmas lights. Maybe there are a few. I don't know. We've checked them out. Let's go up to Hill Ridge Farms or let's go somewhere else. Like, I, Just so you know, this is a, a confessional. I never really want to leave my house. It's just a fact. It's just the way it is. Homebody, you'll see me in the dictionary if you look up homebody. It's me. Uh, and I, I'm fine with that. It's who I am. I don't seem to really shift much. Um, I thought maybe she would rub off on me. Newsflash, I'm rubbing off on her. So I had a really strong tendency, apparently. But this time of year, she wants to go see the lights. And, and it made me ask this week, I'm talking about this light of the world. Why is it that we're fascinated by seeing Christmas lights, by putting them in our house? I bet there was just... A, Maybe just a little bit of excitement as you came in today with the Christmas tree up. And I could have done a whole lot more. I got more ideas, y'all. But, but putting lights here and there and, and, the, and the, the poinsettias are out. And we, there's just a little piece. Of, why? Why do we do all of those things? What, what's the point? And why do we want to go and see other people who have put in way too much work? I mean, I'm talking crazy amount of work for, for like a month. Right? A, a month. And then they got the worst day of the year to me is new, January 2nd. I hate January 2nd because I'll leave them up through New Year's, right? But January 2nd, it's like, oh, we got to bring them all down. And that part is no fun. It's fun putting them up in a way. Some of it's not. I hate decorating the, the tree with the lights. I like the ornaments, but the lights, that's for another person. But what I do is I just throw them all up there and say, all right, Nicole, good luck. You figure out how to make that not look horrible because right now what I just did was bad, bad. And so. But why do we do this? Why do we get so excited? It made me think, well, I, I think generally we like beauty. That God has done something in us that we, we long for beauty in our life. There's, 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 there's just this, 
this mark He's put on us that we're aiming to see His glory in things. We may not know that that's what it is, but there's a reason that a sunset blows our minds. There's a reason that the, the ocean, uh, that the sea, and while so many of us go to the beach or we go to the mountains to see these tremendous heights or to see these tremendous sunsets or to see, it's because the beauty of God's creation reminds us of Him. And maybe we don't always think about that, but that's what's going on. And so the beauty of these lights, I would encourage you, my friends, if you're taking your families, there's a reason that you love doing that. It's because there's a beauty to it. There, and, and especially if you go at night, you see the lights piercing through the darkness. And it does something amazing. Remember that God, God put that in the human heart. He is the light of the world. Jesus has come and He's coming again. Get excited again. This shouldn't be a season of dread. Maybe put on a list, these are the things I dread about the season. And go, wait a minute. Well, let's just go ahead and X out a whole lot of these things. I had a conversation with somebody this week. It might have been Brother Mike, but we were talking about this idea of Christmas gifts with families and whatnot. And we do some gifts around our house, but over time, we do less and less with, with our extended family. Because really, why are we there? We're not there for the gifts. I'll tell you, me and him agreed. We're there for the food. <laughs> and we're there for the encouragement and the conversation and the opportunity to see people we don't see enough. We're not there for the gifts. In fact, if I need something, I just go buy it. I don't need to wait for you to buy it for me. I'm not there anymore, right? And so maybe, maybe let's remove the things that cause us dread and get back to the things that we should be anticipating, opportunities for the gospel, opportunities to remember. There's nothing wrong with taking time to remember what Christ has done and looking at these lights and looking at this season and remembering that Jesus came and he loves us. He's the light of the world. Here's the second way. The second way we see here to rediscover Christmas, and that is by looking to Jesus as the source of true joy. Now, I dug in heavy last week on this idea of joy. And this idea of it's, it's not happiness, it's something more. Something way more. And if I didn't make the argument clear last week, let me just say this. I don't think you can find true joy apart from Jesus. I'll just blanket statement it that way. I don't think true joy exists anywhere apart from Christ Jesus. That's where it sets. And that's what Isaiah is talking about in these, these middle verses, 3 through 5. He says, You multiplied the nation, you increased its joy. They rejoice as with joy at the harvest. This is a baffling thing that he's talking about will happen when Jesus returns. But there's more here than has happened. Okay, There's some things we need to notice. Joy and gladness are going to come because those walked in darkness have seen a great light. That has occurred. Matthew, in fact, says that has now occurred. We have Christ Jesus, the great light. But there's some other things here that are left out there. And the anticipation of His coming again should be on full display when we think about Christmas in this light. That He promises to break down the yoke, the staff, and the rod as on the day of Midian. Now, you got to know your Bible a little bit here to dig in on what's going on. The, and the pronouns get kind of confusing. As I read this, you might have gone, I don't know. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, who's the his? Well, the his is not God. The his is Israel, or we could now say us in Christ Jesus. We are the his. We have burdens. Yes? Burdens? You have some? Praise God if you don't. Lord, 
I have a few. The staff on his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. There is an oppressor in our life. The evil one, but more. There's, there's oppression that we face. Those are the his. And the you, you, points to God, have broken as on the day of Midian. These things have not fully taken place. Jesus put the death nail towards death. He, he put death in the coffin. That's been dealt with. But we are still here. He has not taken us home. He has not come again. So there is stuff left out there for him to deal with, this being one of them. There is still oppression. There are still burdens. All of these things will not exist in heaven. And so what waits? Well, he says, I'm going to break it down as on the day of Midian. Midian, just so you know, this points back to Judges chapter 7. And this is the story of... And this, this has always been easy for me to remember, so this is for you. It's Gideon and Midian. All right? He, Gideon's dealing with the Midian knights. All right? So it helps uh, these things. I'm just not that intelligent. I need these little mnemonic devices to help me. But Gideon... Won a victory over the Midianites, and I want you to know something. It was not on his account. <laughs> uh, the, the credit is given not to Gideon for that battle, but to, to, to God himself. The reason being, God did this fascinating thing. If you go back and read Judges 7, he actually slowly starts to remove the ar- army of Gideon so that at the end of the day, Gideon would receive absolutely no credit because God wanted the glory. He's still that way, just so you know. God, if you're wondering who he is, He loves you, and He is glorious. And you're a created being, so when you put yourself on the throne, God is not for that. He's God, I'm not. He gets the glory, I don't. I'm okay with that. It's about time we all get okay with that, okay? Because that's why we're here, to worship and glorify Him. And so for the story of Gideon, he starts removing armies and armies. And this is what it says there in Judges 7. It says, "...with a few unarmed men, and by the sound of trumpets, and the breaking of pitchers." He just totally wipes out this Midianite army. And this is the reference Isaiah makes. So what does that mean? That means when God comes again, it won't be by human effort at all. That the rod of the oppressor is broken. That the staff on your shoulder is is vanquished. It will be God's doing. And His only. And He will get all the glory. I'm so thankful for that. Because if I could break all those things, I would have done it already. I would have already gotten the yoke of burden off my shoulders. But I can't. But he can and he will. And then this verse 5. This is certainly something that hasn't happened yet either. He says there's a boot. There's a boot that, that makes this trampling noise. The tramping warrior in battle tumult. This is the idea of the stomping of boots. That all around the world. There's parts of the world right now you could go to. Where there are the marching of boots. And the, 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 the rustling of tanks. And the firing of guns. And missiles are going off. It's happening now. And in more places than the news are even showing, I bet. It's happening all over the world. So I got news for you, my friends. This hasn't occurred yet. The implements of war, the boots, the bloodied garments, the, the, the army uniforms, the military garb that are bloodied by battle, they still exist. But one day, these things will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's this whole notion that Isaiah is going to get into over and over again. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 2, you'll see him saying this. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They're going to turn their instruments of war into gardening tools. Because there will be no need. There's this old song. Y'all might not know that I know a song like this. But there'll be no war anymore. There'll be no war. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Some of y'all know that. And I didn't sing it great. But I've heard it recently. 
Um, and I probably sang it in, in more like a Bob Dylan voice. I think he did it, though. I think Bob Dylan did it, um, or did a version of it. Boots and garments, these things will be torn down. There's this other part in Isaiah where it says the lions will lay down, the lion will lay down with lambs. And these are things that have not occurred. Are you ready for that? Like, have we lost the excitement? There's something that frustrates me a little bit when I look at modern church culture, at least American culture. When I think about my grandparents and my great parents, when I go back and watch, uh, because my grandmother was, was a gospel singer and her mother too, and when I go back and listen to the way they sang, they sang about heaven all the time. I mean, almost every other song had heaven in it. And I started looking through our playlist. It's rare that we sing about the afterlife. It's rare that we sing about the coming of Christ. We sing about wonderful things, and we're really looking through all of our worship sets and making sure that these things are biblical and gospel-centered. That's very important to me, don't get me wrong. But our culture has just moved away, and I think it's because of our comfort. That back in the day, when, when, when things were a little bit harder to do, when, when, when the meals were a little bit harder to come by, when, when money was a little bit harder to come by, it's like people really were excited that, you know what, one day it won't be like this. I think we could come back to a healthy expectation of that. We should be singing about heaven a whole lot. We should be really excited that one day, all the instruments of war are going to get turned into gardening tools. I can't wait. I can't wait that the garden scene of the Garden of Eden, it's like God has painted this wonderful story as you look at the Bible as a whole, that it's going to go from garden to chaos back to garden. This is the story of the gospel. And the true joy is there. You won't find joy anywhere else, not really. You'll find happy moments and happenings, but you won't find joy unless you look here and go, all right, I know. I know this stuff is... The great light has come and he's coming again and this stuff hasn't all happened yet, but I'm placing my faith and my joy there. That gives me peace. It gives me contentment. It gives me confidence. Now I look there and I go, okay, I know who I am. I know that I'm loved and I know what to expect. It centers me in Christ Jesus. True joy comes there. John 15, 5, we see joy abiding in the vine. It says, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And he goes on later in that text to say, These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So how do we get this joy? What's easier than we thought? Abide in the vine. Get really, really good at hanging out with Christ. Get really, really good at resting in Him. Because the world around you is a mess. No one's denying that. The Scriptures don't either. But the joy in the Lord is resting in Him, abiding in Him, clinging to the vine. I love this story in Luke chapter 1 about John the Baptist. When he's, he's unborn at this point, Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, this is Luke 1.39. I'm going to read it to you. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Crazy stuff, huh? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why? Is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I got news for you, friends. (laughs) Unborn babies leap at the sight of Jesus. They just do. (laughs) The, the, The rocks, it's like... This is one of those passages that reminds me of the rocks cry out. The, 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 the creation itself leaps for joy. Why aren't we? Like what, what is holding us back from leaping for joy that the Savior has come and that He's coming again? Our joy is complete in Him. Unless you have this joy in Jesus, your joy, my friends, is not full. Do you depend on Him totally and absolutely? Are you dependent upon Christ Jesus and everything? Those little areas that keep going wrong, give those to Him too. Like I, I, I do believe our life is, is so much about giving more and more, laying more and more at His feet. And it takes a lot of us time to do that. That there's little pieces of us that we're just for some reason not ready to hand over. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's our confidence. Maybe it's, maybe it's our uncertainty, uncertainty about what He'll do with it. Because if I hand that to him, I don't know what he's going to do. He may change it. He may look at that and go, I don't, I don't, I don't like the way that looks in your life. I'm going to change it. And, and here's the good news, friends. It's true. It's true. There's some stuff you're going to hand him and he's going to go, whoa. Ugh. That's not what I want for you. That's scary, I know. But if you want your joy to be complete, you want to know peace and contentment, you've got to slowly hand every aspect. My marriage the way, the way that I unwind my comforts. Boy, some, some of us, including me, that's the thing. Like, Do we really want to hand that part off? That God, I am totally, totally yours. Even in my downtime. I'm all yours. And the way I parent, and the way, I, the way I, I husband or wife, the way I work, I'm all yours. And then he can make my joy complete. Here's the last and really the key to this, this text, I think for getting anticipation back in your life. And that is by watching for Jesus who has come to come again. This Jesus who has come to come again. This is wonderful stuff. This is the thing they kind of missed in the first century and it took them some time to realize what was happening. That there were actually two threads of prophetic, of messianic prophecy. One, the suffering servant. The other, the conquering king. They missed the suffering servant, it seems. It's not that they weren't tracking it. I just think they, they, they blended these together and they, didn't, they weren't sure how that first aspect would play out. They didn't recognize that these were two comings. We now know. That he first came to be that servant, to die for us, to sacrifice himself so that we might be free. But he's coming again and it's going to look different. <laughs> he's done that already. Now he comes to set things right. He comes to free us fully from sin's grasp. We are freed spiritually. We will be freed physically. He's come to come again. Verses 6 and 7, something we sing about in, in many different Christmas songs. For unto us a child is given. This is like Handel's Messiah kind of stuff here. For unto us a son is given. A child is born. And he has these four names. And again, this points to something future that hasn't totally happened. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are certainly names you could give to Jesus. But he hasn't fully accomplished these tasks yet. The Prince of Peace is a name I would certainly give to Christ Jesus. But he has so far given us peace and partiality, but he will give us peace in full. This Mighty God, this Everlasting Father... And then it goes on to verse 7 to say, the throne of David, this government will be installed. Well, I don't know if I missed it, but I haven't seen that yet. 
but it's coming. And this government, this throne, it says, will be forevermore. This time forth and forevermore. And God's zeal, his, his passion will do this. His zeal will do it. Jesus has promised to come again. This should give you new joy for Christmas. We're not just celebrating a, a Jesus who came and died and lives today. No, we celebrate a Jesus who's coming again to set things right. He's bigger. If Christmas does one thing in your life, it's bigger. That God is bigger. <laughs> that He loves you more. That His salvation is full. That His joy is going to be complete in you. If we can get that right this, this season, I pray God will really use us. At the end of the day, He wants the glory. What would give Him the most glory? Certainly that we would praise Him appropriately. That would give Him glory, and we should do that. What else would give Him glory? That we would use this whole notion of His incarnation and the, and the season of unto us a child is born, that we would use that for the gospel. It glorifies God to add to His number. It glorifies Him. And we know from the book of Peter, First Peter, I believe, where he says, I, I desire that no man uh, would be unsaved. I, I desire all men to, to, to come to salvation. That's my paraphrase, but that's roughly what it says there. And What would give him most glory? That we would be a part of the kingdom of God. That Christmas would be an opportunity for us again and again. That we would praise him. That we would glorify him. That we would remember that he's coming again. And that should give us such joy. Maybe it doesn't do this for you, but it could and it should. When you face trials of many kinds, James says, consider it pure joy. How does he do that? Well, I think maybe there's a notion there in James that he's able to consider it joy knowing that these things are temporary. That these things, they happen in this moment, but, but God will cleanse it. Even if it's something you fought, maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's a physical ailment you've been dealing with for a long time. In the scheme of eternity, it's a blip. It's temporary. I know it's painful. I'm not diminishing the pain. However, eternity is greater. Way greater. When we remember come again, the Christ who came to come again, it should give us such joy and peace. John 14, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to, a place, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I believe that, my friends. I pray you will as well. I pray that gives new meaning to Christmas. The Christ who came to come again. He, he promises to return. Revelation 16, it says, Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me. So if you're sitting here already questioning, you know, should I be the kind of Christian who's longing to see Christ return? Yes. Yes, you should. In fact, the Bible mentions this idea many times. That was part of my like, agenda this week was looking at that idea. Okay, if we're going to anticipate Him coming again, is that even something the Bible says we should do? It does a whole lot. In fact, Jesus tells a story in another passage about the, uh, I believe it's like the, it's the, the virgins, that story there, and it's you better be ready. And, and at the end of that story, I didn't have this written down, I don't know why, but He says, be always looking for I'm going to come again. That's the end of that parable. Jesus tells it. 
There's another passage I found. Um, I'll read it for you. I did write it down. Hebrews chapter 9. It says this. Look at me. Doing some Bible, quick Bible reading. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Eagerly waiting for Him. Actively waiting. So friends, it is good. It is okay for us to be longing, to be anticipating, expecting the coming of Christ. The Bible speaks of it often. It speaks of heaven and hell quite a much. It speaks of the second coming of Christ a whole lot. It is something we should be anticipating. Watching for the Christ who came to come again. This is what Wayne Grudem says, and I kind of want to end on this notion. And this might kind of hit you in the feels, but uh, here you go. He writes in his systematic theology book, he says, Do Christians, in fact, eagerly long for Christ's return? That's the question he poses. The more Christians are caught up in enjoying the good things of this life and the more they neglect genuine Christian community and deep intimacy with Jesus, the less they will long for His return. To some extent then, the degree to which you actually groan for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition of your lives right now. Are you longing for Christ? I had to really check myself on that this week. Are there a whole bunch of other things I can't wait to do, but heaven isn't on that list? That's kind of a scary notion. Are there a whole lot of things on my bucket list and heaven isn't at the top? I guess at the end of the day, friends, the thing that I'm wrestling with is if I don't accomplish any of what's on my bucket list, but I get heaven, fine. No problems here. I long to see him return. The only thing that I want to be hesitant at all about is that I want to talk to people about him before he comes back. I don't want to miss those opportunities. And so when I think about the Christ who's coming back, I got to get on it. Because <laughs> I want a lot of people to come with me. How about you? Let's rediscover Christmas this year together, recognizing that Jesus is the light of the world. In him is our true joy, and he is coming again. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, first of all, we love you. And there's no better way to say it. We love you for who you are to us. You showed us love first. That's the only way that we even have any awareness is that, God, you first loved us. You loved us first to create, that you were creative, you designed us. And you loved us second, that you would save us. That this whole Christmas season, if we want to get back to the heart of it, the reason we celebrate it is that, God, you took on flesh. God, you left your throne room to be one of us so that you might set us free. That is the glory of Christmas. The reason we really celebrate it is that God became a man and that that man took on our sin on the cross and set us free. God, I'm so thankful for you. I love you. I just want my life to be a testimony to you that in everything I do, it would give you glory. Help me to get my heart right, my mind right, that I wouldn't be eagerly waiting for anything else but you. On a daily basis, not just your second coming, God, which I want to long for all of the more, but also just our one-on-one our -on -one time. That I would hunger for that. <clears throat> the time we spend in your word. The time we spend together, God, in prayer. The time you spend walking with me through this life, Lord. I want to hunger for that more than anything else. Would you change me? And I pray you do that in our church. Do that in our people. 
that the thing, where we're going to get true joy, where we're going to get the, our path lit, it comes in Christ Jesus. And we're not going to get those things apart from you. God, would you do that in us? I recognize that there's a, a variety of people fighting all kinds of different things, many different burdens, many different uh, oppressors, if you were, and yet same God. And you are the same to all of us. And you are going to break those burdens down. In fact, you're doing some of it now. I pray you would do that in our life. Help us to worship you in this season. God, I pray more than anything that our church would honor you in this month. That we would honor you with what we do and with what we say. God, would you save some people in this city through our church this month? I pray that boldly. Let the gospel go out. That we put Christ back in Christmas. I know that's cliche. But I mean that in the sense of let's get the gospel out there. That when people see our lights, it doesn't stop there. When they see our excitement, it doesn't stop there. When we get really in the mood for Christmas, it's not just because we care about all these little knickknacks and whatnot. It's probably most of us don't. But what we do care about is your glory revealed. God, would you do that in us? Do that in us and through us. We want your name lifted high. Use our church to do that well. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.